0: I always love uh, coming to light church it's always great uh, coming here there is a sense that when we come here there is a sense of uh, like we've been a few times and it's a sense of whenever we come that we feel like we're at home I love the heart I love the atmosphere I love the welcome I absolutely love what God is doing amongst you as a church I I, I'm like I'm not even really part of it I mean we're praying for you we're sort of cheering you on but from a distance seeing I'm just like this is so exciting. Like, what God is doing in this season you're stepping into. I don't even know what's happening in Vision Sunday, and I'm already pumped for it. <laughs> like, it's so exciting what God is doing, and, and your pastors, Dan and Holly, this is, this is awesome. This is God. This is a God thing. This isn't something that can just be manufactured. And so I'm excited, it's so good to be here, know that we're cheering you on, know that we're praying for you, and, and we are so grateful, and as Dan said, we are stepping into a, a new season ourselves, and we're um, launching a church called Heart Church in Morecambe, uh, and it's, it's kind of scary, I, I was chatting to uh, Damien before, and I was saying like, it's one of those things, I, I'm scared, but I'm excited, and it's one of those where, I think that's a good place to be, that you get to a point where you go, look, God, I'm proper excited about what you seem to be promising us and what you're saying to us. But God, if you don't show up, this is gonna flop. Yeah. And this is where we're at. It's like God, we, we believe this is what you've called us to do, and so God, over to you. Like, we're gonna do what we're gonna graft. We're gonna do all we, all you've called us to be and do. Um, but you know, it, it's difficult and it's challenging at times. And we just want to say a massive thank you for your generosity. Like, it means so much, especially when you step into new seasons. Often when you step into new seasons, there are questions and there are doubts and you're like, is this going to work out? And you have those times, don't you? And actually, knowing when you've got people standing with you, believing in you, cheering you on, it makes such a big difference. And so we want to say thank you. Um, you guys are stepping in. You're not sort of waiting to see, is it going to work out? You're going, no, we believe in it from the start. And so we want to just say a massive thank you you. Um, I'm also going to do a shameless plug. Um, So if you are on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, type in weareheart.church Follow us, like us, whatever, like, share, whatever. And if you know anyone who lives in Morecambe, whether it's your nan, your granddad, your, like, distant, like, distant, removed relative, about five times removed, tell them that we're coming. Uh, Just, yeah, just share. Um, And we'd love you to be praying for us. We've got our first uh, info and prayer night coming up on the 12th of October. We're meeting in a local high school, which uh, seems to be where we're sort of going to launch from as well uh, so we'd love you to continue to pray for us um, as well but that's cool anyway we are let's, let's forget that stuff let's, like, we're delving in we're finishing off we're concluding your series called let's talk that you've been journeying through uh, in um, on prayer during the month of September uh, and so whenever Dan asked me to preach I'm like if it works in my diary I'm there so when he said can you preach I was like I'm in And then I was like, right, I'm always waiting for the email that has a rundown of the sermons. And like, right, okay, what's the series he's going to ask me to preach on this time? And then I got it at the end of August, and I was like, okay, cool. It's prayer, I like it. Look down, right, cool. Holly, James, Adrian, Dan, right, okay, it goes up and stays up, and then Dan preaches, and it's going back up. No, I'm joking. (laughs) And then I looked at what he asked me to preach on. Genesis 18, I was like... Now, some of you think of Genesis 18. I knew what Genesis 18 was. I'd done an essay on it like uh, last year Sodom and Gomorrah. I was like, Dan, are you like throwing me into the deep end? And you're like, we want to preach on this, but I don't want to do it. You can have it. <laughs> but anyway, I have to say though, like, when I started this week off going, I'm going to bring this down a little bit because that's probably a bit better. Um, when I started this week off, I started off thinking, man, where are we going to land here? I'm visiting preacher as well. Like, I know I can fire a bit more bullets than normal, but, like, actually, God's spoken to me massively through this passage, which I've sort of written off as one of those passages that no one ever wants to sort of speak about. But actually, it's an incredible passage, one of the best passages you can preach on on prayer. That's where I've landed this week. I didn't start this week like that, but that's where I've landed, and hopefully you'll land there with me too. But anyway, here's a story of what's going on, context is so important. In Genesis 18, we've got three men who've who've come down to talk with Abraham, and uh, they've come with two purposes. Firstly, the first purpose they've come for is they've come to tell Abraham and his wife Sarah, look, that promise that we gave to you years ago, that you were going to have a a son, uh, that you've sort of been trying to manipulate to make it happen, look, that promise is going to come true. You might be 90-odd, but that promise that I promised you, is going to come true. And actually, nine months from today, you will give birth to a son. And it happened. You know, sometimes we hear promises from years ago, and we sort of think, God, is it even going to even happen? But actually, you know, if God promises, if God's, God's words are failing, if God says it, it will happen. And that, that wasn't even in the notes. That sounds good, though. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and so they personally come down to tell Sarah, "Look, you're pregnant. You're 90, but you're pregnant, and it's going to happen." And then the the second thing they come to say, which isn't quite as nice, is they come down to basically say that they're going to come and destroy two wicked cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. And so, and actually, one of these three men actually turns out to be God himself. So if you've got a Bible with you, turn it on, open it up um, to Genesis 18. I just want to read the passage through. Um, from verse 16 in Genesis 18. So it says this from verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for, his, for Abraham what he has promised. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Then the men turned away and went towards Sodom, But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of righteous people is five less than 50? For those who aren't good at maths, that's 45. Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five people? If I find 45 there, God said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he, Abraham, spoke to him, what if there are only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then Abraham said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if there can only be 30 found there? God answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if I can only find 20 that can be found there? And God said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then Abraham said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He said, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy you. Then the Lord finished speaking with Abraham. He left, and Abraham returned home. This is like truly a kind of weird bit of, of, of the Bible. Like Abraham here is like some kind of reverse auctioneer, and he's going, Have I got 50, 50? No, I've got 45, 40. Like, it's like, What are you doing? And it's a pretty awesome negotiator, I have to say, if Abraham was our prime minister right now, we'd probably have a chance of a decent deal from the EU. (laughs) There's one way of splitting the kind of church. (laughs) It's probably one of the clearest places in Scripture that teaches you about prayer. However, please bear with me. We will land when we're talking about prayer, but I know for some of you, you're hearing this passage. You may be hearing it for the first time, and you're already stuck at the fact that God is going to destroy some cities. And some of you are thinking, this is kinda of the God I don't like. Like the old testament God who kinda of seems to be some hormonal, cranky teenager. Like I like the sort of New Testament Jesus like God who sort of reformed himself, has sort of grown up a little bit, sort of been saved himself and has become turned into gentle Jesus. That's a whack theology, by the way, if you sort of have that sort of view of God. But actually, let me just show you what's going on here. Let's, let's grapple this slightly. Uh, and I'm not going to try and answer all the questions that, that spring up from this passage because I want lunch today and so do you. Um, but verse 20 says, Then the Lord said the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous. The outcry, the the crying out from, is is a Hebrew word, which actually means the cry out is a result of violent injustice or oppression. Who is it that's actually crying out in this situation? We actually find later on in the Bible, in Ezekiel, we find out it's the poor. It says in Ezekiel 16, verse 49, Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and under, unconcerned, and they did not help the poor and needy. You see, God's anger, God's wrath in this situation is because of the way that people, the people of Sodom are harming his creation and how they're harming each other. You know, when you love something, you hate the things that destroy it. You know, if, if someone that you love gets cancer, you hate the cancer that's within them. To the point where you're you're, you're willing to see their body violently beat up through chemotherapy to remove it. That's how much you hate the cancer and you love the person. See, God loved the little girl in Sodom who was being abused. God loved the guy who'd been cheated out of his job, the woman who'd been sacked off for a prettier, younger version. God loved people that much. See God's love, like all true love, actually includes rough. And is, how does that work? Well, the thing is, when you love something, you hate the things that destroy it. You hate the things which don't make it how it should be. And you've probably got loads more questions about that, and so do I. I didn't get a great mark on my essay either, but <laughs> I didn't like the lecturer. No, he's he's finished now. It's cool. Not because of me, before you think that. (laughs) But I also want you to see another phrase that we see in this passage. Verse 25 says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right, do what is just? You know, some things that that we see may seem odd to us right now. They may not seem right, that we can't comprehend, and they don't seem to make sense in, in the way that we view things. Some things may seem odd to us, but that's because we can't see clearly. We only see from our perspective, we can't see in the, the entirety from God's perspective. And you know, the Bible teaches us that God is the judge of all the earth, that God is just and He will do right, that He will work all things for the good of those who love Him and according to His purpose. God is working in every single situation. To work about his purposes. And at times we still are left with the question, but why God? And we can't understand how does this work, God? That we can see the pain and the heartache and the brokenness and the evil that's going on in our world. God, why don't you step in? And we're still left with that question, why? And to deny it is kind of to deny the reality of who we are as we're still asking those questions, why? And you know what? That's okay as a Christian to ask why questions. It's okay to question God. Abraham did it. David did it. So many people throughout the Bible question and cry out to God. Yet somehow in church these days, we've we kind of got to be, you no. Know, oh, I've always got this strong faith and I never have questions for God. You know, it's cool to question stuff. We should question stuff. And actually, I think it's in our questions that our faith is strengthened. That we, we should land at a place where we realize that on the foundation of God alone, I can stand. And when we can't understand why God does what he does, then it's not because God's somehow gone wrong and we're like, God, come on, sort yourself out. But it's because we don't understand some things. And we need to understand foundationally to our faith that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than ours. We can't understand and truly comprehend God. And we've got to hold on to what we do comprehend about God. And the truth that we do know about God in the times when it's not easy to understand. The Christian faith isn't one of plain sailing fun. No, it is fun. And then these guys are walking away and God kind of says loud enough for Abraham to hear in in verse 17. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Have you ever had one of those conversations where where, uh, a friend sort of says to you, I don't know if I should tell you this, but, and you're kind of like, well, you've got to tell me now. Like, those sort of conversations where you sort of landed yourself in, and you know that when someone says that, it's going to be something you probably don't want to hear, or it's going to be gossip, or it's going to be something that isn't probably that helpful. I don't know if I should tell you this, but it's kind of like God saying that. It's like, I'm going to say it so you he can hear me, but should I hide this thing from him? And then God then goes on to sort of tell Abraham what's going to happen. And I love this because we see that friendship with God is not just something saved for the New Testament, but actually here we see a glimpse of what our relationship with God is like. God is treating Abraham like a friend, and he's saying, look, this is what the deal is. And we don't always get this. I don't want to try and paint a picture that God always informs us of all his plans in such detail. But he's taking Abraham on a journey, and he's saying, look, this is what's going to happen. This is what I'm going to do. But as soon as God tells him, Abraham's response is he starts to beg God. He starts to pray for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. But he doesn't pray for himself. I love that he doesn't turn around and start, oh, I've got one-to-one with God here, and start crying out and asking God for himself. But rather, he, he hears what's going to happen, and his first port of call is, God, no! Like, save these people, the, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah but it's not just save the people of Sodom and Gomorrah these are people themselves if you read back in Genesis the people of Sodom and Gomorrah have been horrible to Abraham and yet he turns around and you know sometimes I'm like those people that kind of like I'm not that keen on smite them God crack on (laughs) but no he's not he's not like that at all he's like God, save them. I know they've hurt me. I know what what troubles we've had in the past. But God, I don't want you to do this. Save them. Abraham is praying for them despite the heartache they've made him experience. And I used to read this passage and kind of think what Abraham's really doing here is Abraham's got a cousin who lives in Sodom, a guy called Lot. And I used to think that what Abraham truly was praying was, God, save them well, save Lot and forget the rest. Like, he almost backhandedly just trying to get, make sure his family are safe and, and sort of crying out because like he's got a personal, invested interest in the place. But no, it's not like that. It doesn't say that at all in the passage. It's like, God, save these people. I mean, it would have been a lot easier if God just saved Lot. And actually, spoiler alert, that's what he does do. He saves Lot and destroys the cities. But actually, Abraham's not praying for Lot. He's praying for the city. He's praying for the wicked city. Not wicked as in how most of you will use the word wicked, but as in wicked as in evil. He's being a priest, an intercessor for the city. He, he's, he's standing in the gap. He's standing before God and crying out on Sodom's behalf. He's praying for their good. He's praying For their good, even when they deserved judgment. Even they deserved what was actually coming to them. And in doing so, it's a totally different picture to what we see in the New Testament in lots of ways, but in approaching God in such a way, he was risking his life. Do you not notice how he keeps saying, look, God, don't be mad at me, but can I just have one more request? God, don't be mad at me, but can I just ask, what if there was only 30 or 20 or 10 He's putting his life at risk on the behalf of a city which have done harm to him, which are evil. He's standing in the gap and saying, God spared them. God saved them. He's doing actually what God has actually called him to be and do. You see, in verse 18, we say, Abraham will become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. Abraham's living in what his inheritance will be. He's living there and saying, Look, I, I, bless them, Lord, save them. I'm standing in the gap for these people. And then we get this sort of bizarre haggling back and forth with God, God 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. And we go through this whole thing. And, and I love what it says in verse 23. See, what's going on previously, they already stood together, like Abraham and God are stood together, they're chatting, and then it says in verse 23, Abraham approached God. Now this sounds kind of weird in our English language, because I'm imagining they're probably not that far away, they're probably not like shouting, God will you spare them, they're standing next to each other, and so it sounds almost like they're sort of a meter apart and and then Abraham sort of gets in his personal space and approaches God. But it's not like that at all, because the Hebrew word behind that is actually, it's a technical word which means to approach, like to approach the bench in a court of law. So what's going on here is Abraham is approaching the judge. He's approaching to come before the judge, the one who can make the decisions, the one who, who makes the final call. He's acknowledging firstly that God is the judge. But he's approaching, he's coming in to God and saying, God, I know who you are, but I I know who you are, but that's not going to stop me crying out for these people. Abraham's appealing to the justice of God, the God of justice. it It goes on to say in verse 23, Won't you, God, do what is right for the sake of 50 righteous? Would you not spare the city? I know you hate injustice, but do you love righteousness that much? I mean, aren't you just so merciful, God? For the sake of 50, wouldn't you spare him? Now, Abraham's totally right. God does love justice. He hates injustice. God does love righteousness. He loves mercy. He knows that God is a just God. He knows that, that God loves people. And for the sake of the righteous God would spare the wicked. And Abraham works down from, all the way from 50 down to 10. But then all of a sudden Abraham stops. He doesn't work, I mean I'm thinking like work your way down all the way down to 1 and maybe you've got a chance here. But he never resolves it. He's on a roll. He's barging God down from fifty to ten. Why doesn't he keep going? It's kind of like you're watching a, a, a film, or like I know it's not a film, like a video on Instagram or Facebook or something, or YouTube, and, and it's just getting to the good bit, and the advert comes in. Anyone else hate the adverts? Like, why? I'm just, and then I can't be really to watch the advert, so I sack off the video. But. <clears throat> Why doesn't Abraham keep going? The climax is there. Keep working your way down to one. But I think what happens here is Abraham just gets a realization. He recognizes there's not even one in the city who is righteous or enough for God to spare the city. There's not even one. And so it ends and God does destroy the city. He saves Abraham's cousin Lot, but the city is destroyed. But you see the question that's probably left there, how does that work? That if God loves righteousness that much, and, and, and he, but he this, like, hates wickedness, like, where does that leave us? Like, we're kind of in the same boat here, God. Like, what, where's the righteous one amongst us? You see, the, the question that's posed by the Old Testament here is answered in the New Testament. Abraham couldn't find that one, but Jesus is the one. Jesus was the one righteous one for whom God would then forgive the whole world. The righteous, the, the righteous would die for the wicked so that we can now know life, so we could be forgiven, so we could be restored, so we could have hope. I actually think this story is basically God setting, setting us all up to point us to Jesus. That, that, the, 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 one of the purposes of this is just, look, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. You see, Abraham risked his life to plead for the unrighteous. Jesus gave his life for the unrighteous. Abraham pleaded for the people of Sodom, 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 who threatened to take his life. Jesus gave his life for Sodom, for me and you. Because God loves righteousness, so much, because he loves people being right with him, living right with him, so much. Jesus would come and die to forgive the sins of many. In Isaiah 53, it's one of the great chapters in the Old Testament. Dan quoted it earlier. It's written 750 years before Jesus was even born. It foretells the horrors and the the gruesomeness of the cross that Jesus would experience. But it says in verse 11, After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. That on looking on Jesus' righteousness, God's wrath, God's hatred of the things that destroy us could be satisfied. That that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was so perfect and pleasing to God that God now releases his forgiveness in a fresh way. That on his behalf, we can be forgiven. That God can now forgive all of Sodom. And you're like, you're probably thinking Sodom, like, like we often think of Sodom as sort of homosexuality, don't we? And you know, when we siphon off a group of people and say they're worse than us or they're sinners, we've totally missed the point, because actually, Sodom here represents every single one of us. Every single one of us. Don't ever siphon off one group of people and tell them, ah, you're less worthy. You've missed the gospel because what the gospel says is none of you are worthy. But Jesus died to make you worthy. So actually Sodom here represents me and you. But Jesus is the one who now stands. And when God is looking for the righteous one, He's there. Jesus has paid it all. So hopefully that's given you a bit of grounding that this passage is it's, it's so much more going on than just God destroying some city and moving on. But it also it, it points us to Jesus. But I also think it gives us so much to think about about prayer. Because it's grounded in Abraham talking and praying with God. That we see this, this going on between God and Abraham. And I want to just, I want to leave us with four thoughts about uh, how you can pray for your city. And when I say the word city, I'm not thinking, oh man, we're not really in a city. We're in like a suburb of a city and we're like on the far coast. Like, city doesn't really apply here, does it? Or does it? I don't know. Are you in a city? We're, Wesham City. <laughs> Absolute beast of a city. <laughs> but it I want to think, when you think of city, I want you to think of your family, your neighbourhood, your church, the Fouled Coast. I want you to think of your town, your business, your, anything that you have any involvement with. That's your city. That's where God's called you. So the first thing I want you to do in praying for your city, and I believe we, we see from this passage, in, is that we need to ask in Jesus' name. You know, sometimes I used to think that when you, like, when you say, in Jesus' name, it's kind of the, the sort of God, sort of like warning God that you can like switch off now. Like, in Jesus' name, amen. Like, God, we're just coming to the end now. Like, and, or in, like, if you're in a prayer meeting, in Jesus' name, everyone's ready to go, amen. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. In Psalm 2 verse 8 it says, Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. What we're praying for, is, what we're asking God for, is everything that Jesus died for, God we want to see it now. God we want to see what you've died for and what Jesus actually died for. We want to take possession of it and we want to see that inheritance now. So when we're praying for someone, we're praying in Jesus' name that we might see what happens in that person's life. That what Jesus died for that person, we want to see it. Whatever Jesus has tried to, whatever Jesus, uh, slow down. When, when we pray, we're asking Jesus for what Jesus has earned, not what we deserve. I've been in far too many prayer meetings, which, which the prayer goes, God, we pray for Mabel. Mabel's been such a good servant of you. We pray for her big toe. Lord, we pray that you will heal her. She's been so good and served so well and so faithful to you. Amen. And I get the heart of it, but it's never on our merit. It doesn't... Mabel's toe, we can pray for Mabel's toe, that's fine. Yeah, we can pray for Mabel's toe. But we don't pray for Mabel's toe on the merit of her faithfulness. We pray for it on the merit of what Jesus has done for her. We pray for it because it's all an act of grace and mercy Whatever we receive From God. When we're praying, we're asking in Jesus' name. We're asking that Jesus, whatever you've you've paid the price for for that person, whatever the purpose you've put on that person's life, Lord, we want to see it. In Jesus' name. And so for me, like when I'm praying for my family, when I'm praying for my boy, Lord, Lord I know what you've called him for. I, I don't know, but God, you know what you've called him to be and to do. And I, I don't want him to settle for anything less. I'm not going to settle for anything less when I pray for him. God, I want, you, I want Judah to see more lives impacted than I ever will. I want him to, to live in the purpose that you have for him. I'm not going to settle for anything less. Oh, God, give him a good education and that'll do. Give him some good manners. I want to see all that God's got for him, and hopefully that will be some decent manners too. So firstly, we ask in Jesus' name. The the second thing we do is we ask for the city. We ask for the city. We are put here on earth, yes, for so much more. I don't want to paint it as just to be intercessors, but one of our roles as Christians is to intercede, is to be like priests in the places of influence that we have, just like Abraham that we stand in the gap and we cry out, we pray for wherever we find ourselves. So you, if you, you are an intercessor for your family. You, you're, you're, you're to, we should be getting down on our knees, whether, whether physically, if we can, or, or metaphorically, in acknowledging who God is and saying, God, I want to cry out for my family. For those who don't yet know you and those who do know you, Lord, I'm going to cry out for my family. You're an intercessor for your neighborhood. Right? What, what, what could happen if we truly start to take this seriously? What could happen if you started to truly intercede for your street? Or your school? Or your business? Or your workplace? Now, I'm not saying go and get business cards that say Dan Cronin, resident intercessor. <sighs> but actually there should be something going on here in which we're coming before God and crying out. Right, church, you are called to be intercessors for Kirkham, for the far coast. You are here as a church with a purpose, not here by accident. And you are individually called to your spheres of influence, your friends, your family, your neighbours, your business, your gym, wherever it might be to cry out and stand in the gap and pray that you may receive and see what Jesus died for. Thirdly, we ask big. You know, I cannot find anywhere in the Bible where someone overestimates God. Now, we love to underestimate God, but this story shows us that God ultimately is a God of compassion in sending Jesus. That he wants to save. That he longs to work in our lives. That he loves people that much. And he wants to invite us in. And show us what he's doing. And we see that through his scriptures. And then as we see how God moves in incredible ways in the scriptures. That shouldn't go, oh man, God moved amazingly 2,000 years ago. But should make us go, that's the God we believe in. That's the God I can still approach in prayer. And so I can ask big. I can ask for the sun to stand still. I can ask for the seas to part. I can ask for the mountains to move. I don't need to ask for the small things. Now, we can ask for the small things and we should do. But we can start to dream big. We can start to ask big. What is it that you believe God wants to do in your children's life? What is it you believe God wants to do in your marriage, in your business? What one thing, if you had unlimited power and resources, would you want to see happen for God's glory? What one thing, if you had unlimited power and resources, would you want to see happen for God's glory? Now, whatever that thing is, ask it. Ask big. You might be saying, well, I want, to, I want to see Blackpool no longer the most deprived town in the whole of England. I want to see it rise into not even being on any of the statistics anymore. Ask for it. Pray for it. Ask for the transformation. Ask big. Because the Bible consistently teaches us that we underestimate what God will do, not overestimate. You know, we actually see in Matthew 13 verse 58, it's one of the the most depressing verses I read in the Bible, where it says, "And Jesus did not do many miracles because of their lack of faith." Now, I don't want to get into this idea that faith like, faith is important, right? Like, I'm not trying to say well, it's your lack of faith why God didn't do something. I'm not going to get into that That's whack theology as well. But we need to be—we need to have a level of faith, an expectancy of what God is going to do. We need to ask big, John Newton. He wrote that, that song, we probably don't even sing that very often, called Amazing Grace. And there's a song we sing, I don't think we've ever sung it, to be honest. But there's a verse in it, excuse the old language, in a, in a hymn of his that, that says this. Thou art coming to a king, so with thee large petitions bring. For his grace and power as such, none can ever ask too much. We are coming to a king so large Petitions we're going to bring, large prayers, large requests, large dreams we're going to bring. For His grace and power such that we can never ask too much. And two things that cause us to start asking big prayers. Firstly, we start feeling with God's heart. Secondly, we start seeing with God's eyes. And I believe that increasingly happens as we spend time in God's word and we, we start praying. We start to see things as God seize them and some of you are here this morning and you're like thinking like i'm overwhelmed with what's going on in my life i i I can't see a way out there's nothing i can do that's not true because in every situation we can pray and it might feel like i'm in too deep god like what's going to happen no one can help me now but god can come to god this morning when you when you when you feel like you're at the end of, of the rope it's the time to step in even more so into prayer and say god i can't do this but you can and fourthly and some of you are thinking thankfully finally ask persistently you see there's this haggling going on like abraham's going through like i'm thinking god's probably thinking like Abraham just cut to the chase like but abraham's there going 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. And he's like haggling, he, he's bargaining with God. And it reminds me of one of my favorite parables, the, the parable of the unjust judge. And I think if anyone else had said this parable apart from Jesus, they'd have written him off as heretics. But Jesus gets away with it because he's Jesus, obviously, and it's not heresy. But he's like, what's going on? Is This woman's coming before God and, and he keeps like, pleading before this, uh, before this judge. And this judge basically gets fed up with her request that sort of says, look, to shut you up, I'll give it to you. Whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And and what's the the comparison here is that God is like this unjust judge. Now, God is not unjust. That's why it would be heresy if you want to catch up. But he's sort of saying, look, God is like this unjust judge. That if we persistently come, he will give it to us. Like, but how much more, because our God isn't unjust, unjust. and how much more does God love us that even if that unjust judge is willing to persist, give this persistent woman her request, how much more will God require in your requests? How much more that some unjust judge who basically just doing this, shut us up, is God more likely to say, look, my child, have it. jesus then goes on to talk about how look, if your child was to ask you for a snake or for a fish who's going to give them a snake if your child's going to ask you for an egg who's going to give him like a stone or something like that anyway and it's sort of like how much more will your father in heaven not give you all things we can come persistently and keep going I often think, like, we, we stop praying just at the point that if we kept pushing through, God would actually, we'd see the miracle. If we kept pushing through when things were hard, we, we'd eventually, actually, that's when we'd see the miracle. But we stop too soon. We stop too soon. Because I believe for whatever reason that God has ordained that some miracles only come through persistent giving. like so persistent asking. And sometimes we give up too soon. Keep going. Keep going. Talk to God. Because he loves to hear your voice. Talk to God, your loving, heavenly Father. You know, Judas sometimes asks me for stuff and I have to say no. But you know, I love the times when I can say yes. Yes where you can see the smile on his face because you say yes as you're driving past McDonald's and he's crying, chips in the back seat. <laughs> <laughs> he does actually do that. And the issue is that a new Heachan bypass goes right, right past McDonald's and you have, then, you have to break his heart when you say no chips. <laughs> For over a year, probably maybe two years, uh, my wife Becky has been Persist- no, pestering probably is the best word. Me for a dog. Now I love dogs. Uh, I've always grown up with dogs, but I also know how hard work they can be at times. And we, we, our, our work and uh, wasn't gonna like the, way, the amount we were out wasn't gonna work in terms of getting a dog, and that was kind of a good excuse to sort of say no. But then Becky's hours changed over the summer, and so suddenly she was going to be home a lot more. And so Becky started over the summer looking more and more at dogs. I kept asking again and again and again, can we have dogs? And the thing is, if Becky had stopped two years ago and just said, Dan, can we have a dog? And I said no and left it there. You know what? We wouldn't have a dog now. <laughs> My coat wouldn't still be soaking wet from walking that dog this morning at 8 o'clock and coming home dripping and like Some woman gave me some best advice I've had so far. I think you need to invest in some waterproof trousers. I was like, that says a lot about how this morning's walk went. <laughs> I don't want to invest in waterproof trousers. I've never seen a good-looking pair. But um, to be fair, if you're walking a dog, no one cares today. But if Becky had stopped asking, we would never have a dog now. Because I would have forgotten about it. I was wishing Becky would forget about it. But we ended up with a dog. And he's massive, and he's only like eight months old, and he's already up here. It's crazy. But Becky got what she longed for. And I'm not God, and like... But God is so much more loving, so much more generous, so much more able than I. And How much more does God want along long to hear your requests and for you to cry out to him? So I want to encourage you to ask in Jesus' name. To ask for your city. Ask big and ask persistently. Tom, do you want to come at me? I just want to invite you just to close your eyes. By God's grace, I believe he's, he's speaking this morning to us. And first, I you want to ask, you know, some of you may be here this morning, and it might even be like your first time in church, and, and some of you have even invited someone, you're thinking, like, you heard Sodom and Gomorrah, you thought, oh, where's this going to go? And I believe that God has been speaking to some people maybe this morning who are going, actually, you know what, I need Jesus. I just need to come to Jesus I, I, I realise that my life's not how it should be but that Jesus has died he is that righteous one so I can be set free so I can know a relationship with God so I can actually have a hope and a future so I just want to invite you as every eye's closed and every head's bowed if this morning you want to just say look I want to come to Jesus this morning might it be for the first time But it might be actually, you know what, you're saying, look, I need to come back. I want to invite you just to raise your hand. I'd love to pray for you. Just acknowledging that, look, I know Jesus died for me and I want to live my life for him. If there's anyone here this morning that wants to respond in that way, I just want to encourage you right now just to raise your hand and say, look, I need Jesus. Thank you, thank you. Is there anybody else. Thank you. Thank you, God. Anybody else? Praise you. Thank you, God. So, Father, God, I thank you for each of these people that are saying, "Look, I want in, God. That are recognizing their need for Jesus. Well, I pray that they might just receive the forgiveness that you've, you've, you've paid for. And Lord, that they might be filled with your Holy Spirit, that they might live the rest of their lives for you. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you have raised your hands, to, to come and chat to someone who, who maybe brought you or, or someone who, who you know is, is a Christian and they would love to pray with you too. Maybe you want to speak to Dan and Hulls or or somebody else. But actually, I think church is a call for all of us, a response for every single one of us this morning. We need to step up to be the the priests, the intercessors that that God has called us to be. And I know in my life that that God has convicted and challenged me so much this week. That I've been settling for praying for stuff which is just about me, or settling to pray small. But I think God wants us to step up. And I believe as you step into a new season like church, that you need to step up in prayer. That the vision that will be cast next week will not come to fruition unless you're willing to put the graft in on your knees in prayer. And so I just want to ask you that if you're willing to say I'm in, I'm willing to say, Look, God, I don't just want to receive your forgiveness and and everything be about me, but I'm willing now to stand up and stand in the gap for my family, for my neighborhood for this region, for for the far coast, for what you have for us as a church. That if you're willing to do that, I want to ask you, if you're you're willing to say, I'm in and I'm going to get on my knees and pray, metaphorically or physically. If you're in, I want you to stand as a sign of that. So if you're, if you're willing to say that I want in, I'm, I'm going I'm to now press in and take a new level in prayer. I'm going to resolve that in this next season, I'm going to pray more than I ever have. I want to ask you to stand. And stand together, because that's what we do when we come in to pray. We come together, we stand in front of the, we approach the throne. And we ask in Jesus' name. And God, this morning we want to ask for the city. Lord, well, I pray for that you will start to birth new dreams in us. That you'll start to birth what you want for us in our lives. That we will start to ask big. We'll start to dream dreams. We'll start to see visions. That you'll start to break our hearts for what breaks yours. That you'll start to help our eyes see as you do. Because Lord God we don't want to settle for anything less than all that you have for us. We don't want to settle for anything less than what you have for this church. Don't want to settle for anything less than what you have for this town. Don't want to settle for anything less than what you have for the far coast. So Father God I pray you pour out your spirit. Holy spirit come. Holy spirit come. And I want to encourage you that this week as you start to do that. That if you sense that God is speaking to you, to maybe share that. Send it into Dan and Hall's. Share what you sense that God is birthing within you. So they can stand with you too. Amen.